Hello and welcome to the Beauty Therapist of Australia podcast. I am your host, Kathleen Klassman, and you might know me from the Facebook group, Beauty Therapists of Australia for Industry Leaders, a group for professional beauty therapists to unite, get educated, and of course, become industry leaders. Here on the podcast, I answer and discuss the best questions that you submitted into the group over the past week. And in today's episode, we will be discussing how to establish boundaries and financial goals in your new beauty business, skin needling depth and cellular considerations for optimum safety and efficacy, and ways to reduce waste in your salon, spa, or clinic. But before we dive into these topics, I would like to remind you that if you would like to have your question answered, jump on over to Facebook and join our free Facebook community. Just search Beauty Therapists of Australia dash for industry leaders and click join to get connected. Also, if you would like to stay updated on all things related to the beauty industry, follow me personally on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. You can just search my full name, Kathleen Klassman. All right, beauty therapists, let's get into it. And for the first topic, we'll be talking about Jasmine's question. And this is all to do with boundaries and financial goals in your beauty business. So Jasmine asked, business mamas, what are your non-negotiables when it comes to work hours, commitments, salon hours as well? For the first five years, I would book anyone at any time, but now I'm more mindful of my hours and profit margins. I'm looking for different ways to set boundaries and financial goals so I don't get burnt out. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. All right, beauty therapists, I'm very excited to jump into this one for you, Jasmine, and for anyone else listening. So I think when it comes to establishing your non-negotiables and what you want in business and profit margins and setting these boundaries and financial goals, I think the first thing you need to do is really establish what your ideal day and your ideal week would actually look like based on your individual set of circumstances. Now, I'm only assuming that Jasmine is a mum since she did reference business mamas <laughs> in her question. So let's just say being a mother and spending time with her family is her number one priority. Perhaps she likes to do the school run in the morning and that's totally fine. That's her life. So she actually gets to dictate what her ideal day and week looks like based on her uh, priorities in her life. Because at the end of the day, there really is no point in operating a business that is running your life and you know, dictating what you do with your day. It's really up to you as the business owner to prioritize your uh, priorities And then make your business work for you because, I mean, all of us went into business for freedom at the end of the day. So that's that's my first step and my first piece of advice is set out your perfect day and really nut out what you want in your day. And then you can create a plan to achieve this within your business. So, for example, what I have done in my business, I have really thought about what I love to do in a day. And for me, I love to get up in the morning, go down the beach, spend time with my dogs and do a little bit of creative writing, spend time on my passions. And one of my passions is contributing to the Beauty Therapists of Australia page, making videos, doing this podcast. So I make time for that and I love doing these things in the morning. So what I have done is created my business to work around that. So I don't start 
in my clinic until 10 a.m. because I do everything prior to that. And that's just the way I like to do things. But you might like to do things differently. So perhaps Jasmine wants to finish at three o'clock because she wants to do the school pickup. And that's okay as well. You don't really need to operate your business based on what the rest of the industry is doing. You want to look at your life and build it around that. Because quite often what I see in the industry is beauty therapists feeling really, really stuck in what the rest of the industry is doing and thinking that just because all these other businesses are open late hours on a Thursday, for example, or open at 9am, that you have to do that as well and that you won't get clients because of this. No, 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 this is not true at all. Especially if you are targeting a specific client, like you really know your ideal client because I mean, hey, for example, maybe Jasmine's ideal client is mums and she sounds like she's a mum as well. So perhaps she is targeting these mums and that means they're probably free during the times that she is free and in the clinic, for an example. So you target those clients and you make it you make it work for yourself. That is the most important thing um, that you want to do to be able to set boundaries because you don't want your clients dictating your week. You want to be dictating what you or your week would look like. So then you can create a plan within your business. <clears throat> so the second step for all of this is to work out actually how many hours are available for appointments in your day and in your week. So consider things like note-taking, cleaning, planning time for marketing, errands, admin, gosh, the list goes on <laughs> as a business owner, as you know. And you also just want to, from those appointment times, um, and all the extra time that you need to allocate to running your business. Consider how many appointments you can fit into your day and then work out the profit margins based off of this and then calculate it for a week and then calculate it annually. So you actually get a whole picture of the, the, the potential for that amount of appointments. So what is the max amount of appointments? Because based off of that, you can then look at the profit margins that you would be taking from this. So if you don't know how to calculate your profit margins, definitely speak to a bookkeeper, a business coach, or even your accountant to help you with this. But it's really, really simple. All you need to do is add up all your business expenses associated with that said treatment and factor in your wage, overhead costs, and you know all the supplies and things associated with that treatment. And then everything that isn't covered is profit. So say $80 for a massage, you have $50 expenses, the $30 is your profit. You you get that. So and also you want to factor in tax as well. So that's basically what you want to do and then figure out what is your profit within that week? What is your profit within a month and what is your profit within a year? And is that profit, you know, you've got to figure out how much profit of that do you want savings for the business and how much are you paying yourself? That's so important because at the end of the day, you you want to design a business that works for you. I keep saying this because it's so, so true. So if you've done all these calculations and you're looking at your business and going, whoa, okay, the amount of profit I'm making really doesn't sustain the lifestyle that I want to live, then it just means you need to rethink things. And it means that you need to consider perhaps upping your prices, reducing your expenses and increasing your profit margins. You could 
even consider alternate streams of income and ways to scale your business. This could mean hiring a team or finding ways to sell more products, for an example. But you really, you know, first you need to make sure your business is paying for itself. Are you, do you have enough to survive as a person? And is it actually your business complementing your lifestyle? Otherwise, this this is a really a bad cycle and you're going to eventually resent your business because it's keeping you small and keeping you stuck. So that's my that's my first lot of tips. And in terms of financial goals, yeah, work backwards. I pretty much summed it all up prior and it's really about going this is my dream life, this is what I want in my week and then working backwards. Of course, you aren't going to achieve everything overnight and these things take time. I'm about a a little over a year into my business and I'm not making what I would like to make, but I have a plan and I set little mini goals. And like I said, I work backwards. So, you know, I've set about eight little mini financial goals that I can reach. So I'm checking how much money is coming into my business, checking the profits and then going great, you know, and celebrating when I reach these targets that I've set for myself. So I hope that helps Jasmine and I really, really hope that this helps to empower you to make better business decisions so your business can really, really work for you. Alrighty, beauty therapists, let's get into the second topic and that is on the topic of skin needling and the depth of which a skin needling device would go and just talking about the skin science behind all of this. So this topic was inspired by Elise and she asked a question and with her question she uploaded a video of a It's an anonymous video. We don't know where it's from, but it's from a beauty business. Someone has been filming their skin needling and they've uploaded it and she's taken it and popped it in the group to really ask a question. So let me read her question for you. Is this really necessary to go deeper over the skin than 0.5 mils? I understand where someone has had cystic acne and may have deep you know, deep pitting and scarring. I am seeing this type of needling all over Instagram and I was trained 0.25 on the forehead and 0.5 over the skin, only stamping the skin to create micro channels, not using hyaluronic acid as slip to run across the face easily. I get it. It's easier than stamping and quicker. Some say it's because of the vibration of the pen. It causes a tens like pain relief. I just want to do treatments correctly and it's frustrating to see this type of video. I'm very open to discussion on this subject. So there's a lot, there's a lot in this question. And I think, you know, so we're not going to be talking for ages on this podcast. Let's just focus on the depth because this was where the whole conversation in the comment section really begun. We were all talking about the depth of what which a skin kneeling device should go. And all these other points regarding hyaluronic acid slip and stamping, we can address this on a separate podcast if another question comes up. But let's talk about depth. And before I jump into all of this, I really just want to preface the talk by saying that we really must be basing depth on every individual client. So we we can't just use it you know, a a blanket statement like we use 0.25 on the forehead for every single client or we use 0.5 on the rest of the face because 
one client is going to differ from another. So consider things like age, genetics, so many factors. And we just, we can't use a millimeter depth. However, we can use that to guide our treatment and to really, we must know the depths of the epidermis and where the dermal epidermal junction is, how far to go down to hit the dermis and where is the subcutaneous fat. And off of this information and then looking at the client in front of us, that's when we can really decide during the treatment what we're actually doing rather than going in blindly and going, yep, I'm going 0.5. <laughs> so to help to help with this question and to for you to understand a little bit more of the skin science behind skin needling and behind actually going into different depths of the skin, I have brought on a lovely friend of mine and fellow skin treatment therapist, Kai Atkinson. If you haven't heard of him already, I've interviewed him over on the Beauty Therapist of Australia Uh, live interview series that I've been doing and he's just a very knowledgeable skin treatment therapist and corneotherapist and he's very good at explaining the science so in this next little audio Kai is going to go into detail about the different cells within the skin and the considerations you really need to think about and what I recommend is that when you're listening to Kai and if you're asking questions in your head going oh my goodness what is this that he's referred to what is this and you're unsure of a lot of factors write them down because you know you want to actually understand these terms that he's talking about and you really want to understand the different types of cells in the skin because these really do affect the outcomes for your clients and it's totally fine if you don't understand everything right now I mean I'm only learning and I'm only adding to my knowledge every single day but we need to know the basics so write down your questions and review this audio over and over again do some research because I tell you what he's added a lot of so so much information into his audio so once Kai finishes his audio I'm going to chime in and finish off the talk but until then stay tuned to Kai's talk I'll speak to you in a moment depth really depends on the skin condition being treated let's go back to the structure and function of the skin and talk about the cell that is responsible for 70 to 80% of the cellular population of the epidermis, the keratinocyte. The keratinocyte is a highly dynamic cell that is responsible for generating important lines of skin barrier defense, such as the acid mantle and microbiome, stratum corneum and multilamellar lipid structure. The keratinocyte has the ability to communicate with all cells of the epidermis and dermis through the release of cytokines and growth factors, and these are tiny protein molecules that are each encoded with a specific set of instructions that coordinate all biological activity within the skin. The keratinocyte is king, and when performing a collagen induction therapy treatment, can govern many immune system responses. Collagen, elastin, and glycosaminoglycans production can actually be activated through keratinocyte and fibroblast interaction. The keratinocyte can also restore healthy communication pathways between the melanocyte and the release of transforming growth factor beta-carotene 3 for rapid re-epithelialization. By puncturing the uppermost layers of the epidermis, regardless of penetrating into the dermis, the skin triggers an onset immune system response and a plethora of events occur to begin the wound healing process. 
The keratinocyte conveys a message to the fibroblast, which activates pro-collagen synthesis within the rough endoplasmic reticulum, whereby pro-collagen is then transformed into tropo-collagen through a series of enzymatic events, resulting in collagen cross-linking to create collagen type 1. Majority of fibroblasts take up residence within the papillary layer and within the lower reticular layer at a depth of 2 to 3 millimetres, although fibroblasts at this depth are much less unresponsive. Medical needling at a depth of 2 millimetres, for example, is outside the scope of a beauty therapist, and any further, you'll only be puncturing down into the subcutaneous and deep fascia septa, 4 to 6 millimetres in depth. Dr. Lance Setterfield specifies that bleeding and petechiae are not always the desirable endpoint, and that one should switch off inflammation, reseal the multilamellar lipid structure, and provide moisture, nutrients, and antioxidants to the cell-producing layers as soon as possible. Dr. Lance has also said that typically, erythema with minimal to no bleeding is the desired endpoint using a 0.5 millimeter device. I think majority of us practicing skin treatment therapists can agree that what we saw within that skin needling video was not minimal bleeding. For those that disagree, it may be wise to update your device because some needles may not equal the actual setting on the dial, hence why it's important to know your target endpoint for the skin condition being treated. Given that collagen induction therapy breaches the first three lines of skin barrier defence, corneotherapy intervention is required. The skin is temporarily open to irritants and allergens, which can set in and trigger an inflammatory response. Corneotherapy works by restoring skin barrier function and by supplying the integument with lamella-based creams that restore overall homeostasis. There was a comment on this video where a therapist said that to treat pigmentation, one millimetre in depth is perfectly fine, and I personally would like to share my two cents on this topic. The melanocyte takes up residence on the basement membrane side of the epidermal dermal junction and works in synergy with the keratinocyte for the process of melanogenesis to occur evenly throughout the spinosome layer. Both cells rely on a healthy plasma membrane along with specific key nutrients to prevent deterioration of the spinosome layer and pigmentation disorders from occurring. Needling at a depth of one millimeter will definitely not treat epidermal pigmentation because you have punctured the epidermal dermal junction and petechiae and blood will occur. From my understanding, the mid-range of the spinosum layer has a depth of around 0.3 millimeters, whereas 0.5 millimeters is within the epidermal dermal junction or just punctures through into the upper layers of the papillary layer, age and site dependent. When looking at pigmentation on the skin, it's important to go by the level of cellular damage that has occurred, such as lipoperoxidation or mitochondrial DNA damage or aging, for example, and determine where the pigmentation may be residing within the skin. If the client's skin is heavily photodamaged, deterioration of the epidermal dermal junction has most likely occurred due to activation of matrix metalloproteinase, collagenase and elastase, causing pigment granules to accumulate within the papillary layer of the dermis. Always go by how long the pigment granules have accumulated for the best treatment depth. Dermal pigmentation may present with a slight grey and bluish undertone and therefore I would treat this pigmentation at a depth of 0.4 to 0.5 millimetres and I would be looking for very superficial petechiae. 
For epidermal pigmentation, however, you would always stay within the epidermis because that is where the keratinocyte and the melanocyte cells reside, and an erythromatic response is all that is required. If you have not repaired the keratinocyte and the melanocyte's plasma membrane, you will not achieve a result with pigmentation. Remember, the melanin-stimulating hormone binds to the receptors that are located on the surface of the melanocyte's plasma membrane, and the keratinocyte's PAR2 receptor is required for accepting the pigment-carrying melanosome. If one cell is affected, both will contribute to a mechanical breach in the system. Lipoperoxidation is a very compounded form of oxidative stress, which truly damages the viability and flexibility of the keratinocyte and the melanocyte's plasma membrane. And those with pigmentation disorders above the age of, say, 25, depending on their work and play lifestyle, will be within this range of cellular damage, making pigmentation very difficult to treat because the damage has moved from the exterior to the interior of the plasma membrane. Going back to the structure and function of the skin, I now want to talk about the ageing pathway that occurs within the dermis and how this deterioration will reflect as a compounding skin condition such as loss of structural integrity. The dermis is composed of seven layers that make up the underlying tissue architecture and therefore is responsible for shaping the outward appearance of the skin. The dermal epidermal junction, retipegs, papillary layer, superficial fascia septa, reticular layer, subcutaneous and deep fascia septa all display signs and symptoms of cellular atrophy over time. And the practicing skin treatment therapist of today must be able to recognize these symptoms so the underlying cause may be treated. For example, if the client requires an upper eyelid blepharoplasty from a medical professional due to collagen degradation of the deep fascia septa, there would be no point in attempting to treat this skin condition with a modality such as collagen induction therapy. Why? Once the skin has completely detached from the muscle, there is absolutely 100% no going back. We may not have the ability to reset telomeres once a cell has completely stopped dividing, such as the fibroblast. However, we can preserve our existing telomeres by not abusing the skin physically or mechanically with undesirable treatment modalities, nutrition or ultraviolet radiation. By supplying the cell with what it requires to function and by knowing the worst depth of damage as your point of reference for clinical services such as collagen induction therapy, you'll have a much better understanding of the cells and systems affected and what the skin realistically can achieve without pursuing unnecessary needling depths. Let's picture a client that is going through mitochondrial DNA damage or aging and is concerned with wrinkles rippling up through their cheeks. Do you as a skin treatment therapist envision in your head the level of cellular damage that has occurred three-dimensionally? Do you know the depth of damage and where to treat it? Are you practicing within your scope of practice as a beauty therapist? The depth of damage that has occurred to my virtual client, for example, is the loss of the dermal epidermal junction. The thinner the spinosum layer, the closer to the dermal epidermal junction your chosen needling depth may penetrate and thus risk you penetrating further into the dermis than what is required, generating unwanted inflammation and further collagen degradation. The fibroblast requires many key nutrients such as iron, copper, zinc, calcium, selenium, magnesium, manganese, vitamins A, C, E, and essential fatty acids, just to name a few, in order for the cell to make and shape the dermis.
The aging pathway begins with the flattening and loss of the undulating retipegs, collagen type 7, and transcends into the papillary layer and superficial fascia septa, collagen type 1. The reticular layer, subcutaneous and deep fascia septa, collagen type 3, are the next in line to deteriorate, which then allows for this accumulated cellular damage to work its way back up to the dermal epidermal junction, collagen type 4 and 7, and deterioration of this supporting structure results in the elastin fibres breaking away which can aggravate skin conditions such as elastosis. As the dermal epidermal junction begins to deteriorate, the epidermis slowly lifts away from the dermis, causing a myriad of problems that are not immediately seen from the visual appearance of skin, but will damage important lines of skin barrier defence over time. What do you think happens to the keratinocyte and the melanocyte when the dermal epidermal junction collapses? This is the worst depth of damage to occur and requires immediate intervention with a skin needling device that is controlled by the therapist's vision and not by mechanical depth. Repair of the dermal epidermal junction can be achieved to some extent. However, you will never be able to reset the underlying fascia septa to the base of the muscle. To summarise, it's important to know the depth of cellular damage prior to clinical services and to consider the life cycle of the cells that you are influencing. Always repair important lines of skin barrier defence first and replace nutrients topically and nutritionally while ensuring that a good antioxidant and repair skin treatment programme is in place. Then, and only then, would you consider choosing a modality such as collagen induction therapy for the treatment of wrinkles, pigmentation and acne scarring. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to ask. Thank you very much. Goodbye. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you so much, Kai, for weighing in on this topic. If you would like to find out a little bit more about Kai, he actually has a blog. It's called Strictly Skin by Kai. Search him up on the web. It is www.strictlyskinbykai. And yeah, go check his blog out. He does some really in-depth analysis of skin conditions and skin topics and trust me you'll absolutely love it so it's strictlyskinbykai.com however i wanted to just say well done to the therapist for questioning this particular skin needling video and asking for guidance around this topic it's a great quality to be curious and seek guidance from others in your industry it just shows that you really are wanting to be the best beauty therapist possible so yeah the best thing you can do is question the information you've heard and read um and read and find evidence-based literature based on the most up-to-date standards and guidelines. So that's amazing. Well done, Elise. But I want to mention that if you are looking for other references, you can, I would highly consider looking into Dr. Lance Setterfield's uh, Concise Guide to Dermal Needling, the third medical edition. So it's a little textbook. And in this textbook, you'll have all your questions answered when it comes to skin needling and you can look at some case studies and fully understand how skin needling and particular depths will affect the cellular functioning of the skin. If you're feeling particularly enthused about skin needling and you really want to refine your skills, which I highly recommend, you can then take Dr. Lance Setterfield's online skin needling course over on his website. So his website is needlingguide.com. 
there are several other educational institutes perhaps with the company that you purchase your skin needling device from. Uh, you can also look into another training company called Skin Education International by Leah Treblecock. And also Florence Barrett-Hill has a plethora of courses available on the Pastiche online learning platform, which you can utilize and learn more about skin science, skin biology, and skin conditions. So with all of that being said, I hope this has answered your question, Elise. It's probably given you more questions than answers, but at least you've got a lot of direction for studies and further education. So thank you for asking your question and we'll move on to topic number three. Okay, so for the last topic on the podcast, we have Jade and she has asked a great question and she has asked, I'm looking at ways to reduce waste in my home salon. I do waxing, eyelash extensions, tinting, spray tanning and henna. How do you reduce your waste and plastic in your salons? Thank you in advance. So I love that Jade has asked this question. I think this is such an important topic. We really we really do need to think about our footprint when it comes to the world. So well done, Jade, for thinking about this. I'm really excited to cover this topic. And I think this time of the year is a really good time to be reflecting upon our business operations and how we do things within the industry. So what a great time to cover this topic. Okay, so I do actually have a few little pieces of advice for Jade and for anyone else who is listening. And this is really based on just doing a little bit of Googling and being environmentally conscious myself because in my clinic, I am personally thinking of ways to reduce my waste and go green as much as possible. So let's delve into in. So one of the first things you can do to reduce waste in your salon is to reduce paper waste. So you can do this by converting all of your consultations uh, on paper to digital ones. So there are so many ways to do this and I've experimented. So let me just give you the easy path. <laughs> so there's two different booking systems that I know of currently. So you've got Timely and they do digital um, consultation forms and you've also got Katomba. So I've used both of these and I personally now use Katomba for my consultation forms. That's the con- that's the booking system that I use now, but I have heard good things about Timely as well. So you can use either of those, but if you haven't used them before, you can use Google Forms. Now, I I have found a few complications with it because you have to create a new file for every single client, but it's absolutely possible and you can just simply upload this form onto your iPad or your tablet and pass it to your client for them to fill out and everything's saved digitally so you don't have to worry about scanning and then putting this information into the computer it's all there for you so that's a really easy easy swap you can do and it's something I'm in the process of doing right now. Another one you can do is reduce uh, plastic waste as much as possible. And whenever this isn't avoidable, opt for effective recycling. So essentially just looking at your clinic or your spa or your salon and looking at everything you have right in front of you and go, well, is this necessary? Can I find a better way to do it? So you could perhaps look at ways to reduce the disposable items that you're using. Of course, working within safety standards, you have to make sure your, you know, cross-contamination and infections and 
maintaining these safety standards. That's why we have disposables in the first place. But there might be a few cases where you can reduce the use of these. So you can do things like, for example, I do this in my um, clinic. So I use cotton buds to apply lip balm and it's really essential. I can't reuse them. But what I do, instead of using a double-ended one and chucking that out, I cut them in half. (laughs) So one cotton bud goes to two clients essentially so you use one half put it in the bin another thing could be using half a cotton pad or using hot towels instead of lots of fibrillas for an example you do what works for you and for your treatments but that's just an example and that you know for waxing and eyelash extensions tinting and spray tanning and henna i'm sure there are some ways that you can reduce uh, reduce your waste so I have a few little ideas for you. So this would actually save you money and increase your profit margins, but you could just try and use as little wax and wax strips as possible during your application and removal process. Uh, You can use reusable cloths to remove the tint and henna from the brows after application versus disposable cotton pads. And you could also encourage your clients to wear their own undergarments during their spray tans to reduce the amount of disposables being thrown out during the tanning process. So You could also buy disposables in bulk to reduce extra packaging and save on extra costs as well. So that's just a few to consider, but I've also got a couple of just more general pieces of advice as well. So you could introduce a recycling incentive into your business and offer your clients a small discount when they return with their empty products. So you can actually make sure that the products are being correctly recycled. So, and that would reflect really positively on your business as well. And it encourages your clients to come back and repurchase these products because they're bringing them back. Lush Cosmetics is a great example of this and they have their black pot incentive. So they have at the moment, I listened to a statistic on this they have a 13 percent uh 13 percent of their customers actually return their black pots and what they do they get their black pots and they recycle them and use them for more uh black pots (laughs) and more uh they use it in the manufacturing process in their cosmetic business so just as an example obviously you can't do that as a clinic or a salon but you can recycle them in the best way possible so that's just one little idea you can also opt for reusables wherever you can so refillable glass bottles jars and canisters and things like that Uh, you can also this is a really important one as well order nationally versus internationally wherever possible really to avoid air pollution because Air pollution is a major contributor to climate change and it affects our environment in a really, really big way. A couple of other things you can consider are reducing water usage, electricity usage. You can also use clean, sorry, green cleaning products. Uh, That's what I personally do. I have a few little snacks in the clinic. So what I personally do, instead of buying packets of almonds in plastic containers, I actually have big jars and I take these jars to the bulk, uh, like to the bulk food section and I just fill up the jars. So I've completely obliterated the use of plastic and packaging. I just refill a glass jar. So that's a nice, easy way. 
You could also invest in solar panels, uh, only launder when you have a full washing machine, monitor salon climate control, use energy saving light bulbs, and lastly, invest in good quality salon items that will withstand the test of time. Things that won't need to be replaced frequently and you could also invest into specific companies like Who Gives a Crap, which is a really cool eco-friendly toilet paper company. I really like their company and their ethics. So there's an extra little tip for you. <laughs> but essentially, they're all initiatives that you can implement over time. But if you're really wanting to find out more information on this, I highly suggest you looking into the company Sustainable Salons. They are a pretty amazing company and I have to admit when I looked up them today I actually actually put my business into their like I applied to be a part of the sustainable salons so I can then initiate more more initiatives into my business to make it more eco-friendly so definitely check them out they have a lot of good things for both the hair and the beauty industry and their whole mission is to create more sustainable salons so definitely check them out and I look forward to perhaps discussing them a little bit more in the future and really delving into what they provide. So that covers all the content for topic number three and I just want to reiterate that I think it's amazing that Jade has asked this question because it really shows that there are beauty therapists and businesses own, business owners out there that are really considering their impact on the environment and they're considering their footprint. So I think that's absolutely amazing and thank you Jade for giving me the opportunity to really look at what I'm doing in my clinic even more and really to discuss this topic and share it with the broader audience. So thank you. All right, so that does conclude episode number three of the Beauty Therapists of Australia podcast. But before you go, I'd like to say thank you for being here with me. By listening to this podcast, it shows that you are dedicated to your education as a beauty therapist, and it proves that you really do have what it takes to be an industry leader. Stay on top of your game, beauty therapists. Keep educating yourself, networking amongst your peers, and don't forget the reasons why you chose this industry in the first place if you would like to connect with other australian beauty therapists please make sure to join the facebook group by searching beauty therapists of australia dash for industry leaders and if you would like to follow me personally just search my name kathleen classman on facebook instagram and youtube stay well beauty therapists and i'll see you here next time have a beautiful christmas and a really really happy new year i'll see you in 2020 Thank you.